Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello and welcome to another episode of OpsCast brought to you by the MoPros. I'm your host, Michael Hartman, joined today by my co-host, Mike Rizzo. And this is the year of... It's the year of the MoPro. Thank you for uh, teeing me up really nicely this time. Well, I stole I stole your line last time. I know you did, and I was like actually kind of happy about it. Well, and I think last uh, our last one, which uh, we're recording this the day our last recording went live, where we referenced the company where our guest is from, who celebrated marketing ops pros. So today we're going to be talking about marketing ops strategy with Lindsay Rothlisberger, head of marketing operations and email at Zapier. Hopefully, I got it right. Did, um, she's going to she's going to have to settle that debate. Is it Zapier or Zapier? So, but it sounds like Zapier is the right one. Lindsay is currently leads marketing operations at Zapier, where she connects people, systems, processes to make marketing easy and effective. She has worked in B two B marketing and um, in the technology industry for over ten years at a variety of companies, startups to large enterprises, and she's got a, a unique perspective from that. Helps her find the right balance of process, simplicity, and speed in how she approaches marketing execution. And she chose the career because she loves both the art and science of delivering helpful content to people at the right time. Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And yes, it is Zapier rhymes with happier to make I me like, later uh, remember. Uh, uh, let's <laughs> later remember it. Zapier rhymes with happier. I like that. We had a. I'll tell, I'll I'll say cheers to that. So <laughs> you know, I'm having an adult. <laughs> Michael's feeling happier by the second. <laughs> I uh I we had an agency or somebody reach out to us about how Zapier could potentially get involved, um, mm-hmm. which was totally separate of how you ended up getting connected to us. And um, that person said, "Yeah, no, they they have Zaps, and so they are Zapier." And I was like, yep. "Oh yeah, all right, fine." <laughs> but still to this day like i'm gonna go back and forth probably you know by accident but now i know that's okay. fully admit i have <laughs> i have misspoken that name many many times so um but i've always been happy with what we've done so okay so uh is is many of our listeners so one of the things we've been doing recently around the podcast has been talking about talking to people about their sort of their journey into marketing operations and it really is still sort of blows my mind that there's not a common thread of how people got into marketing ops. So why don't we start there? Because you talked about how you kind of chose the, yeah, you know, chose the the profession, if you will. Uh, why don't you just like give us a thumbnail sketch of your career journey and how you ended up where you are now at Zapier? Yeah, sure. So I started off in marketing, mainly demand generation and event marketing early in my career, and it was right when marketing automation platforms were starting to become really powerful. Um, And I worked at an organization where actually marketing operations or campaign execution was highly decentralized. So I was lucky enough to benefit from that in that I was kind of the go-to campaign operations person on my marketing team. So I was in the tool every day building campaigns and I would work closely with marketing ops folks and I would kind of envy them because I thought it would was really fun and interesting to 
always be focused on those elements. Um, then I moved on to uh, an organization where I was a digital marketing manager and a really large Oracle. Uh, Oracle is the organization, really large organization where they had a really sophisticated marketing ops program. Um, so got to kind of see how like a center of excellence works at an organization and um, was always just interested in marketing ops. So my next role, I actually headed up marketing ops at a startup where I built the entire marketing operations um, infrastructure from nothing there. Um, and that was That's a fun. very, yeah, it was a very sales-driven organization. So um, it was a really great learning experience. And I think all of those experiences set me up really well um, to lead marketing operations at Zapier because we're growing really quickly. Um, we're using a lot of new different types of tools and technologies that um, we bring on. And we're trying to find the right balance of like moving fast and then setting up to scale. So I think both of those perspectives at the startup and then at the large organization um, have really helped me be successful as Zapier. Right. So I have a question for you. I didn't, I don't think I realized that you were at Oracle. So were you there before or after the Eloqua acquisition? I was there shortly after the Eloqua acquisition. Yeah. But I wasn't hands-on in Eloqua while I worked there. Um, because there was more yeah. of a, a center of excellence model. I love that. So there's a, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, right, Mike. Right. Uh, I, I would love that you share the center of excellence sort of uh, just commentary. Like, I, if you can, um, maybe, you know, share a little bit about that experience and like really what does a center of excellence mean to you? One of the, most well received and the reason i'm asking this question is is that one of the most well received you think i must be vicariously absorbing michael's uh, adult beverage right now. I'm struggling <laughs> to get my words out today um one of the most well received sessions at summer camp last year uh was all about a center of excellence and it was it was led by um gosh it was led by mh lines who's the ceo of stack moxie and she used to work for Microsoft, so very similar experience in the sense that it was a large enterprise, so center of excellence was probably really important. Um, and so I'd love to just hear sort of like through your eyes, like what did you observe, absorb, and then take with you around the theme of the center of excellence? Because that seems to be a very well-received topic uh, within the space. Yeah, great question. I think it can be done really well if you find the right balance of centralization versus decentralization, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I think it works really well when you want to really focus on a consistent brand experience for your customers, and that is a really high priority for your business. Um, some of the challenges, though, were um, was speed and agility and experimentation. Like, that was a little bit trickier. Um, because I had a lot less control over the design of my programs. They're very templatized. Um, so I think it really depends on the business model and what your goals are and what the risks are of decentralizing um, to help you find kind of that right sweet spot. 
That makes sense. I, and, you know, before we started recording everybody, we were talking about some of the differences between platforms like HubSpot or Eloqua or, or Marketo. And, um, you know, that comment that you just shared around, hey, like the agility and the inability potentially to uh, be flexible and test new things, um, that'll happen in, in maybe this centralized kind of model. And when you have tools, not that you can't be flexible and agile in enterprise level products, but when you have tools that make it really easy to rinse and repeat a program, like a Marketo, for example, um, suddenly that, that line of thinking, that creative line of like, Hey, I want to test something new, maybe like falls to the wayside a little bit. So I'm interested to like go further along in the discussion and, and talk about centralizing and decentralizing with you, but I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting. So I know I have seen different versions of what I would call central, you know, sort of center of excellence or centralizing or decentralizing. I'm curious though, Lindsay, when you think of that, what does that mean for you? Like is, cause I, uh, some of the people talk about the sort of the four pillars of marketing ops, right? Is it, which portions of that do you think could be centralized versus decentralized? Uh, I know personally, there are certain things that I really am really, really uh, un- uncomfortable letting people outside of our core team control things like segmentations and form builds and the processing that goes behind them. But I think there's a lot of other opportunities to to sort of allow others into the into these systems and whatnot. But 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 take your, let's have your take on it. Sure. I'll share first my definition of how I define these two things, and y'all let me know if you're kind of aligned here. Um, but I view a centralized model as a scenario where you have a marketing ops team that kind of owns the majority of campaign execution, marketing technology, um, lead management, um, and then works with stakeholders who are mostly marketers via like a request-based or ticket-based execution system. So those requests coming to, into marketing ops and then marketing ops goes ahead and builds them and executes. In a decentralized model, um, the way I view that as um, is that there's sort of systems or templates or frameworks that can then be handed off to teams throughout the business to self-serve and utilize marketing tools in maybe a little bit more flexible um, of a way. Um, I think that the, the, I guess that kind of sums up the definition there. I'm curious to get your, your feedback. Mm -hmm. I, so that's really interesting. I, I guess that makes sense, right? Like being able to create, I I didn't ever really think of it that way. Like when I started creating, uh, I happen to come from more of, I, my platform of choice would be HubSpot. Like just, that's just what we use at MoPros. Like it's just what I've sort of always experienced. Um, and I never really realized that by creating the templates that someone else could just go edit and sort of add their own content tool, but was like still within sort of the, the brand guidelines, so to speak, because the ele- the visual elements were all there and all that stuff. I didn't realize that that was sort of decentralizing, you know, the, the operation. Um, I sort of thought of that as like having control, <laughs> uh, more than anything else, you know, there's still like a QA process that has to happen. Um, and I, I feel like the QA always fell back on a part of the ops team, you know, or 
not just like the technical side, but also the brand team. Like they have to go in and make sure the tone of voice isn't totally <laughs> off base or anything like that. So, but generally yeah. speaking, like I, I, yeah, now that you've positioned it that way, yeah, I, I agree. I think that that, that definition makes sense to me. Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelivets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. So I, I, I have a couple of different thoughts about it. One, I think part of it depends on the scope of a marketing ops organization is I think we all know, right, that the, the scope of the team can vary. So, for example, in my team, I have probably what you think of as the core stuff of uh, a marketing automation platform, some amount of lead management, yeah, that kind of stuff. But I also have responsibility for websites. So I've got infrastructure there. And so I think there's probably a different model depending on the, the you know, am I talking about doing campaign execution using the marketing automation platform or am I talking about managing the websites, right? Um, so I think there's some, I think it's, there's some nuance there depending on what we're talking about. The other, and I'd be curious to see if anyone's, I, I, I didn't get to the point where I got to implement this, but one of the things I thought I was working towards um, at one point in a previous organization was um, coming up with the idea of sort of a internal certification level. So having a core team that was sort of center of excellence, and then people in, say, the marketing teams or the event teams who were going to be, you know, they could sort of earn the right to have access to more and more stuff and have a little more flexibility. So they could use start out using templates for emails or landing pages, but um, they couldn't go beyond those, right? But then if they got to another sort of level of certification, they could then do like custom build emails and like, kind of there. But I go like, again, like I never really expected anyone to ever get to doing segmentation and doing sort of compliance stuff. If, has anyone, if, Lizzie, I'm curious, have you ever seen that? Like something like that where you have that sort of tiered level of sort of... Um, distributed capabilities. I love that idea. Um, I think that you're totally right. There are different types of things that are lower risk to decentralize. Like, I don't think I would consider decentralize my like lead management process or uh, marketing technology <laughs> administration or anything like that. But when it comes to campaign operations, if it's low risk and if You've created a really strong process and you have really good guardrails and then handing off some of that execution to other teams. 
can really free up marketing ops to focus on those bigger initiatives versus sort of being ticket takers or, um, you know, execution arms of the org, then I definitely think it's a great idea. I love the tiered idea. I I really like that idea. I think I've heard you bring that up once before as well, Michael. Um, uh, you know, I don't, it's so curious when you were thinking about that, maybe for anyone who wants to explore it, were you thinking of creating your own sort of like criteria for becoming certified? Because <laughs> like, I don't think you expect people to go take the Marketo certification to just to be able to use the tool, right? But like, you teach them some fundamentals or something like that, and then they like learn it. So it, we did give it a fair amount of thought to the point where we were actually setting up, and we were using Marketo, so that's a good example. So we were using, we were actually starting to set up um, uh, user roles or profiles that matched what we thought those sort of different levels would be. We hadn't gotten to the point of defining what those criteria were that they would have to sort of get to to get there but i do think it sort of at the mo the, the more significant level i actually think that the idea of having a certification from that platform if it's a platform-based thing would have made a lot of sense sure. right at least the entry level right yeah. it's not it's not the admin kind of level but it's the yeah if you're designing emails and landing pages that have to be responsive um or you're talking about personalization th like things like that that end up being yeah, not super complicated, but still require a little bit of like, you need to think through how does this data flow in? How's it going to merge together? What's the user experience going to be like? All of those elements need to be a part of understanding how you then build things out. That I think is not a natural thing for someone who's just going, oh, I just want to get, I hate to say it, like slap together an email mm -hmm. and get it out the door. Um, I also wasn't like as much as I was uncomfortable with the idea of letting people have additional capabilities, like building their own segmentations and things like that. If we were doing email, I wasn't going to, I was never get to the point where I was going to say, absolutely not never, because if somebody got to that level, right. If, if they, if they had proven that they had the, the chops to do that and they were good at what the other, I just didn't think it was a core mm -hmm. thing that other people would need to do. I think that still falls typically in more of a, yeah, you know, a really heavy duty marketing ops function. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that's that's the way I was thinking about it. Like I said, we we didn't you know, pandemic hit everything and it sort of threw everything off the rails. But that's where we were headed. It was to move towards something like that, and I think it would make sense. I, I'm in a, another scenario now where it's interesting. Where the idea it's it's really interesting in that I happen to be at a company that is a really large enterprise company, but it's really sort of a bunch of individualized businesses. So there is a concept of sort of a center of excellence from a best practices standpoint that is kind of at the, at, at the, for lack of a better term, right, the corporate level, but within the different businesses, they're all different, right? So we all tend to have a similar tech stack, right? We all, have, in our case, we have Eloqua and on the website, maybe AEM and, and, and so on, so forth. But how we all use it varies a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there's an effort at the corporate level to have uh, knowledge sharing that's going across. In fact, I have somebody on my team. Part of what we were doing to help him sort of grow and extend his capabilities was he actually is doing a presentation soon to that that group to talk about an ex sort of a, a special 
capability of Eloqua that we're using that not much, not many of the other parts of the organization are using. See, and I think that's so super, things like that. yeah, and that's super important when you're like, once you get into, I guess if you're trying to go more decentralized, you need to do a lot of education in that regard. But I think fundamentally it's like a role for marketing operations professionals in general to like explain what, or not explain, just like let people have a lunch and learn opportunity about how the technology works, right? We don't need to explain it. It's like, like if you want to learn it, there should be opportunities. And I think marketing operations professionals should take it on themselves as you become more comfortable with your tool and your tech stack to, to educate your team around sort of the art of the possible. Do you do any of that, Lindsay, within sort of Zapier and, and your org today? Um, not just for your team members, but maybe a little bit outside your team? Yeah, we do. Um, I'd love to do more of it. I think that one of the things that we've tried is um, also training up sort of what we refer to as champions across marketing on certain features or tools. Like um, we, the, like things we get a lot of questions about, like um, UTM uh naming convention <laughs> so we've kind of like determined okay who throughout through that right now <laughs> UTMs, utms is the hottest thing i swear <laughs> as like nerdy and fun as they are for us they are always yeah. a hot topic uh well the funny thing is the, the irony is do, like do you know what the u and utm actually goes back to it's it's like a predis it's urchin which was the oh. predecessor predecessor to google analytics Wow. Urchin tracking. Sorry, metric. totally derailed that, <laughs> <laughs> right? We just maybe taught somebody something, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think like, I think that's a great example, though. It's something that some folks can struggle to wrap their minds around, but it's a concept that marketing ops can really help to empower other team members to utilize some of the different tools and set up campaigns in a way that's going to help us track and measure everything that we need. And that's one of the skills that marketing ops can just really bring to the table and help um, empower the rest of the marketing team. What I, I totally agree. And what I, you know, I don't want to riff too long on UTMs necessarily, but I think what this touches on, it, it, I don't know that there's anything quite like it in, in, I don't know what comparatively in the world you could even draw to align to this concept of UTMs, but like, when leadership is saying, why do you need to know, like, structurally, like, what our go-to-market effort looks like? It's because it literally passes through down to the UTM, right? <laughs> like, the, up, like, depending on how you choose to use UTM campaign versus UTM medium and source and sort of the term and all of those things, the way your go-to-market effort is meant to be organized at the top is how it needs to translate all the way through to the bottom. And I don't know anything else in technology or any other role in marketing that starts to ask a question. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you were just building the email with a trackable link. And then you start unpacking all these like really complicated questions around, well, tell me about your go-to-market effort and how you ultimately want to see all of this data pass through to the executives. And I think that's a hard thing for leadership to understand. And they're always like, why do you care? It's like, well, because you care. <laughs> you care about the report. <laughs> You're asking how revenue ties back to these efforts. And we're trying to figure that out with you. There's nothing like it. And so I think, you know, as you're educating your teams uh, around UTMs, I think that's a, an incredible 
because uh, the you know the questions come up there, and I think that's an incredible effort. But anyway, yeah. Fun fact: we well have done. a we we use a zap that alerts our marketing operations team when a UTM is missing from a campaign, <laughs> which ah. helps us kind of prevent some of the technical debt that can be racked up (laughs) so you so you've got it's effectively monitoring for you yes that's cool well it's sort of identified like so i so i have one i think one scenario that maybe mirrors it a little bit and that is if you've ever been at a company who's tried to truly build a customer 360 view Hmm. so trying to combine like when it's the the I think you even sent a LinkedIn thing to me today, Mike, where it's like, right. Um, yeah. How do you identify who your, who your customers, I, it's not, wasn't the customers, but like, it's always like, we want to send an email to our customers. Which ones? <laughs> right. How do you, like, how do we do, like, how do you do that? Right? Yeah. And if you, if you don't, if you got a finance system and accounting system and you've got marketing ops and you've got CRM and you've got all these different support, right. And there's nothing that brings it together. That's the only other place where I've seen this, like some sort of core ID, if you will, and UTM parameters end up being that in the marketing kind of world is like, that's the glue, (laughs) right? And to, I love the idea, Lindsay, that you've got a zap that actually sort of enforces what I always talk about is like to really get to like attribution or really even like the next level, right? Where you can say marketing sourced, kind of revenue marketing source leads or pipeline that you have to be so disciplined about that. And if you can't be disciplined about that up front, it's almost not worth the effort to try to do the reporting on the back end. Do you, I mean, I'm curious, Lizzie, is that, is, I mean, is that kind of what you're like part of why you have that built into the process? Yeah, definitely. I think just so core to everything is making sure that data sources are connected to each other making sure that you're tracking the right things. Um, And we use a lot of different alerts to keep us abreast of um, nuances or, um, you know, fields missing from contact records and things so that we can um, check how big of a maybe issue some of our um, are missing. Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. That's okay. Yeah, you're missing. You're missing data points. Well, like break <laughs> missing data points need way. to be connected yeah. together in my head too. <laughs> <laughs> you and us both. It's all good. <laughs> all right. I mean, that's like this is a thing. Like that, that um, people who aren't in marketing, everyone in marketing ops who's listening, like gets it, right? This is complicated stuff, and there's a lot of yeah. a lot of places where things can break down. And people, like, I wish it would be great if we had a you know, an audience and over time, right? I hope our audience will become a broader set where they will get to start to understand, like, what is, like, why is my marketing ops person asking me this? That's <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Why do they care about what this parameter value is? Like, and it tagged you or up. So, so this is interesting. So I think we've kind of gone, we, we could continue talking about centralization, decentralization, but I think this is all kind of coming back to, um, when you bring up this like point about where you've got all these things that are notifying you of, um, maybe they're exceptions or anomalies, whatever you want to call them. And sort of the, the, um, the core function of your tech stack, right. It's getting to 
uh, I, I assume it's getting to how do you identify where you've got breaking issues and then maybe potentially where you have opportunities to eliminate tech, right? Kind of like tech, technical debt, yeah. right? Is that, I mean, are you, is that what you're trying to address? Is that, you know, talk us through kind of how you're using that and maybe even your own solutions. I'm really curious actually about that because now I'm like, oh, how can we use this for yeah. our own use? Yeah. Um, so on the topic of technical debt, which I think just goes so hand in hand with the level of centralization versus decentralization, because I think if you decentralize too quickly or not at the right time, you can really start to acquire a lot of technical debt. And so the way that I define technical debt is that essentially it describes what happens when you take actions to like expedite new functionality or features in your marketing automation tool or you um, you execute a new project or campaign that then you have to go back and refactor because maybe you opted to move really quickly um, and experiment first and, and you kind of like racked up a bit of a mess along the way, which totally is, is totally fine sometimes. So I think it's all about finding the right balance there. Um, but I think in marketing ops too, technical debt can start to creep up when you don't have the right level of process. So it's our job to create that process and those guardrails to help make all of our campaigns trackable, help make sure that our customers are receiving the right information at the right time and not conflicting messages. So there are a lot of issues that can arise if um, you don't kind of strike the right balance. Yeah, I I have to agree with that. And when I was in the earlier part of my, uh, I'd say I'm still early in my career in the length of a lifetime of a career, but in the very early stages of uh, my marketing ops career, uh, it definitely reached a point where I, every time I'd bring up the word process, like I, people would kind of like cringe. It was almost like a bad word. And, and the thing is, is like, I think this community fully appreciates that because the guardrails of processes is what protects your business. It also protects the customer. And I love that you keep talking about, um, you've actually said it a couple of times to just in this recording alone, that your lens is, is the customer experience going to be one that you know, that is appreciated and valued and, um, and you, you're looking at it through a little bit through how would they receive that? And he, Michael, you also talked about it, right? Like a responsive web design and all that stuff. Um, I've, I've heard sort of both ends of the argument that like a marketing ops person, uh, optimizes for, you know, execution and to get something done and to be really efficient. Um, and then I've heard very passionate, you know, marketing ops professionals talk about, well, yes, we're doing that, but always with the attempt to think about, well, at the end of the day, is the customer getting what they need in the right time in the right way? Um, and, and those two trains of thoughts can be very conflicting, right? So like optimizing for done doesn't always mean you're optimizing for the customer experience. Uh, and so I would argue that like the real, um, you know, experts in the field, the, the leaders, the people who are going to stand out over time in this function are going to be the ones that are thinking about, uh, the protection of the business and the protection of the customer experience, uh, as you go to build these technologies. And so I appreciate that you guys are constantly thinking about it. And I have to say, as a user of Zapier, I feel like whatever, all of the effort at the brand level seems to be, uh, you know, focused on that experience as well. So well, that I agree. Awesome to hear. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I agree with you, Mike. It I, I think it always it comes back to me and I cannot remember where I heard this, right? And it but it comes I'm reminded like every time I talk to one of my teenage boys and any of them, right? So um that yeah, you know, the work like decision making is hard, not because there's a right or wrong answer and you it's like it's hard to figure out the right answer. It's because there's not necessarily a right answer and there's a lot of gray in the world and there's trade offs. And I think that's kind of what, what we're getting at with technical debt is like what's the trade off of you know, adding a new piece of technology, removing a piece of technology from a standpoint of both the internal sort of operational standpoint as well as the customer impact. And I know in general, like I would trade putting complexity on the internal team to make it easier for customers just about every time, but that may not be the case. So I'm curious, Lindsay, um, when you think about technical debt, is it... um, how long have you been at Zapier? Just curious. That, two that, years. We've talked about that. All right. So two years. So you came in. There had to have been something in place. Like a lot of us have inherited sort of a tech stack. Yeah. How did you go about sort of assessing current state? Ooh, and, I love uh, this question. Deciding. And deciding, <laughs> like, how do you, did you, did you identify you had technical debt that, at that point? Like without like, calling anybody out, but, but I mean. I think we all like. I feel like I've inherited that in just about every place I've been. Like, but how did you go about sort of rationalizing that again with the context of like? There's not necessarily a right answer, right? There is a trade-off decision that has to be made, and you have to be able to support that. Yeah, I think the first thing I do is look for signs of technical debt. I think when you join somewhere, there are some somewhere new. There are some sure signs. Like some of the ones that stand out to me are. Um, team members are frequently worried that making changes um, will totally break things. Um, is There's a lack of documentation. Oh, so true. Yeah. A lack of um, okay. accountability. So no clear admins or owners of specific tools. Um, and then I think the biggest sign is that the marketing campaigns that you're trying to execute are taking a really long time to do so it's kind of slow and inefficient so maybe you're missing the tools that you need or maybe the there are too many data silos and you don't have the information you need in one place um those are kind of the key signs i I would say yeah let me on that last one my only totally i'm like i'm going check 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 the last one about things taking a long time agree my experience has been that part of that can be technology issue of things taking a long time part of it can be internal processes when it comes to not having clarity around who who's got what role in terms of approval and sign up oh totally yeah no i i definitely agree with that there's like a a organizational element and then there's also like a technical execution element to that piece. So you you got there a couple of years ago. How did you, like, how did you go, like, did you, I guess, like, first question, did you go through sort of a, a conscious effort of evaluating, do we have technical debt, and then making a plan to address it? How, like, yeah. what did you go through there? I definitely did, and um started with a roadmap. I think technical debt is something that's not really fun to add to a roadmap sometimes. Um, 
because it's not it's not sexy you know <laughs> no it's like it's like data quality right yeah and i think like you have to really consider so you add it to the roadmap you have to really consider okay what is the importance of solving this and what is the risk if we don't and so on all of the roadmap items that we have um that we plan to address at one point or another we always ask those two questions um, including technical debt, because some technical debt is okay as long as you're aware that it's there. I think the scary thing is when you don't know that you have it and then you start to see performance decline um, or customers getting angry. So I think definitely just assessing it, being aware of it, digging, researching, getting it on a roadmap and a priority order. So can, can I ask you, you said customers getting angry. Just, I want to make sure, sure. when you say customers there, are you talking about oh, yeah. the people who pay your com- spend money with your company? Or are you talking about internal customers? I'm, for those not, not seeing us, like I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I was referring to external customers, so customers who use okay, good. the product. Yeah. Those are really the only customers <laughs> in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So, um. Okay, so this is this is I um I have another sort of related question, which is and, and this is something I'm sort of passionate about, and actually is sort of hitting me real time is that roadmap idea. I think everyone wants to do a roadmap. That said, I think it's really really hard because things like technical debt are hard to justify compared to things that are clearly like. Where you can really make an obvious connection to, we're going to do this work and we're going to increase revenue or we're going to increase efficiency or we're going to reduce cost. Whereas technical debt may be part, have some of the elements of that, but it's not as intuitively obvious for the people, especially if you're going to like a CFO, right? Mm-hmm. I want to spend X amount of dollars to fix this technical debt issue because, but in it, like, it's just going to be better. Trust me, right? So, how do you approach um, prioritizing your roadmap items? I think that's really the get that where I'm getting it. I've got an idea of how I do it or I like to do it. Doesn't always work out that way, but curious what how that's worked for you. I think that it, you're right. It can be really difficult and challenging. I think that what I try and do is take a top down approach, meaning that. I look at what are our goals as an organization? What are our goals as a marketing team? What do we need to be able to execute this year? Um, Sometimes not all organizations have really clear marketing strategies, which then makes road mapping really difficult. And it can make you feel like you're kind of chasing around all of these different projects. Amen. Um, So I just, I've found that just partnering with marketing leadership to really understand what does the future look like? What do we want? um, What kind of experience do we want our customers to have? Like what types of um, metrics are we linked or what types of campaigns are we going to be running in the next few months? Like it's so crucial to understand that because otherwise prioritizing is just guessing. And so it can be challenging without it. So have you ever been sort of pushed to do sort of almost stack ranking of ideas? Have you ever seen that successful? Cause I haven't. 
Yeah. So we kind of use a matrix approach. So we have like high importance, high urgency in one quarter, one corner, and then high importance, low urgency, and then low importance, low urgency, low importance, high urgency. Those are kind of like the fire drills that maybe aren't that important to tackle right away. And I think using that to kind of classify projects that come into us has been really helpful. Yeah, I've I've done something similar in it. I don't, um, I haven't used the importance, but I've done like what's the expected benefit, yeah. right? And it's kind of got a range of, but you end up with sort of quadrants, yeah. right? And if you ever get to that 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 like that the quadrant that is low value, high cost, right? Then you're way ahead of the game. I've never got. <laughs> yeah, and then low low importance, low urgency. We just automate all of that. <laughs> That's the yeah. other technique that's an interesting one but I, I think that's an interesting one of bringing in sort of importance or urgency to it because i've never thought of it that way like i've always thought of it as more of a and mike will appreciate this right i think of it from a financial standpoint mm-hmm. or an roi standpoint as opposed to a importance versus urgent like it like i think you're like you're coming at it from what i would call like the stephen covey model right right important versus urgent or or was it the eisenhower model is that the like the task management yeah. approach, right? Yeah. I can't remember which one of those it is, but yeah. I I used to do the ice scoring, basically, like impact, confidence, ease. Because uh, I would use that on campaign execution as a growth marketer. And then I was like, well, like <laughs> you can use that same sort of, you know, methodology for prioritizing uh, work on, you know, camp- uh, sorry, MarTech stacks and all that stuff. So, um, but I like that model. All right, we need to have we need to have a whole episode just about different ways to prioritize yeah, projects seriously. within marketing apps. Right? That'd be great. And, and then maybe the follow up is then, like, what do you use to manage it? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> then everybody's going to get into a debate about like <laughs> spreadsheets versus Asana versus ClickUp versus whatever. Hey, no. As long as no one's sorry, everyone at Basecamp, but as long as no one says Basecamp, I'm oh okay. yeah, no, that's not a thing. That's not a real thing. Let's be real. Come on. <laughs> sorry, sorry for this. So, <laughs> um, ouch. All right, so totally off, totally off, off track here, and we're throwing people under the bus. But um, okay, so Lindsay, any so any other sort of final thoughts about um, either technical debt or the centralization decentralization that we haven't hit that we're kind of like the like those were the, like the two main things we were talking with you about. Yeah, no, I think it was a great conversation. I think finding the right balance of how much risk you're comfortable with, how quickly you need to move, um, making sure that data sources are connected where they should be, and that you're aware of technical um, debt that exists at your organization, and you have a plan to address the debt that's really high priority. Um, I think that just about covers it. Yeah, I, I, you bring up a really good point. Like, I think risk tolerance is a really important one that gets doesn't get incorporated in a lot of people's sort of models and for how they build roadmaps and how they decide what they're going to do next. This is really interesting. Okay, so we're, I'm going to I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here, but this is a common question that we've been asking our folks. So part of the reason for the community, the Mark, the the MoPros community, is to help provide a. A place for people to learn everything else. But one of the things 
And I know Mike has been working towards helping to build out um, like training and certification and idea of that way. If there was such a thing as a marketing ops certification and you were in charge, Lindsay, what would be like the one or two sort of non-negotiable you got to cover this topic? Oh, that's awesome. I love that you're doing that, Mike. Um, <laughs> Try. <I> think, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. There's a, there's a lot to cover. I think for me, one of the lessons, the difficult lessons that I've had to learn in my marketing ops career is how to how to zoom out. I think I, I'm very, you know, often focused on getting everything right, building everything with the right amount of process, creating all the documentation, solving all the the issues. But then the ability to kind of zoom out and realize that you don't have to fix everything all at once. Like, what are the things that are going to make the biggest impact on the business and on the customer and aligning your marketing ops strategy to those bigger picture um, business objectives? It's a difficult skill to learn, um, and I'm learning every day how to do that. Um, but I think it's it's really important. Do you, do you think that that could maybe like just just to poke at that just for a second? Like, do you think that that could maybe be influenced by just guiding somebody on principles of types of questions to ask themselves or to ask their team? Um, yeah, I love that, that idea. Yeah, it's hard to kind of break down to like a tactical lesson around something like that because a lot of it comes with experience. But sure, um, I yeah, I think figuring out how to align um, marketing operations projects to business value and communicating that well um, to executives is is really beneficial. But asking the right questions is definitely the first most crucial step in that process so oh i love that i uh i'm excited a, a teaser for those listening to this in prior to july of 2022 um we at summer camp we're going to have a workshop that uh will end with a game that is uh, we're we're sort of referring to right now as like how to trans translate mops geek speak to executive like c-suite speak uh, and so through that workshop, by the end of it, like we're going to try to have um, some sort of output and learning lessons at summer camp for people to go back and actually, you know, awesome. have meaningful business conversations with their leaders. So we'll see. So valuable. Yeah. Well, thank you. I love that. But I, th I think that I, I think that ability to ask good questions and then to close your mouth afterwards. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Use the two ears, not the way out. Is a really underrated skill. Uh, I, I always think about back when my, I started my career in consulting and, and one of the places I worked, we were very deliberate when we would do consulting projects. A lot of, part, a lot of the consulting work was interviewing people, right? And we were very deliberate about, we would go into those interviews and we typically would have at least two people and we would always have one person asking questions, the other would taking notes, and we'd alternate. But the biggest lesson I learned was that, like, shutting your mouth is, like, so important, which is also a sales skill, by the way, right? I mean, actually, it's funny because most people think of salespeople, the best salespeople is they don't stop talking. But the very best salespeople actually are really good at asking good questions mm -hmm. and then shutting up, Yeah, right? I agree. Um, and I think, I think... 
we could all benefit from that lesson a little bit in terms of understanding what is important because nobody likes dead space. No. Yeah. So awkward. <laughs> <laughs> we should all just be quiet for 30 seconds before this episode ends. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Lindsay, this has been great. Thank you. That would be. That would be <laughs> yeah, thank you yeah, for having Lindsay, this me. Has been, this is so fun. Yeah. We're glad. Yeah. Well, it's been great. So Lindsay, if, you know, so, um, if folks want to keep up with you or with what's going on at Zapier, what's the best way that they can do that? Zapier.com. Sign up for a free account. Um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Lindsay-Rothlisberger. And yeah, there you go. look forward to connecting with everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Lindsay. Thank you, Mike. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for um, continuing to support us. If you, again, as always, we always ask for feedback, suggestions for guests, for suggestions for topics. So if you have any of those, feel free to reach out to Mike, Naomi, or me, or or join the, the MoPros community and let us know that way. Lindsay, thank you again so much. This has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye.